what does the overall meaning of the book of Genesis have to do uh, with us? What does it have to do with us? What's the purpose of the book of Genesis? So when we turn to Genesis 1-1, we see the scripture that says, in the beginning, in the beginning. When we think about that, we think about an eternal God that had no beginning and had no ending, bringing about a beginning to everything. And not only is Genesis just about the, the beginning of, of the earth, it's about the beginning of a lot of things. And we're going to be talking about that uh, a little bit more in the beginning. So let's pause for a moment and ask God to bless our time together this morning. Father, as we open your, your wonderful word, your, Lord, your word that is so deep that it can never ever be exhausted. Lord, we pray that you would give us entrance into your word. Holy Spirit, you are the author of the book. Lord, you, you, you used men to pin the words, but you are the author of the book, and we ask you to reveal it to us, to speak to us through it, to speak into our lives and our situations. Lord, that, that, that a book that was written many, many years ago can still speak and is so relevant to us today. So we just pray that you would uh, have your way in this service that you would have your way in, in our lives today. You would have your way in our homes and our families. God, as we give you the praise and Lord, live our lives for your glory. And it's in Christ's name we pray. And everybody said amen. Amen. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning. Genesis is a, a book of the Bible that is 50 chapters long. Uh, I want to give you some facts that we can write down about the book of Genesis. We're going to do a little bit of teaching today, uh, which is kind of different. I try to put a little bit of teaching in my preaching, so I don't know how much we're going to, we're just going to, just, we're just going to go with it, okay? Uh, we're just going to go with it. I promise you, hopefully you'll learn something today. That, that, that's the goal, to learn something and then to look at what we learn and how that is applied to our lives. So let's look at, at our next screen, and there are several, uh, this is several of the major facts about the book of Genesis, several of the major facts about the book of Genesis. Uh, First of all, the book of Genesis, uh, I believe, was written by Moses uh, between 1500 and 1400 B.C. That would be roughly 3,500 years ago. So we're talking about a document that was written 3,500 years ago that is still relevant to our lives today. Moses, of course, led the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage and was taking them into a promised land. Of course, Moses never got a chance to enter the promised land, but as they were in the wilderness, uh, many scholars believe that during that time, Moses penned these words. You have to put yourself in the place of Moses, for Moses was leading several one to three million people out of Egypt. And every one of them, all they knew was Egyptian culture. All they knew was Egyptian gods. All they knew was Egyptian names. So you talk about having to have a change of mind. You talk about having to have a change of worldview. So what, because when, when they took the children of Israel captive, it's just like Nebuchadnezzar did with, with Daniel. He, they tried to reprogram their brains to believe the way of the Babylonians. Well, they, well, these Israelites were raised in the ways of the Egyptians, learning their culture, their language, all of this stuff. So now Moses is writing these words to show and to give the Israelites a proper world view, to give them the essence of where they came from, who they were, 
to establish identity that Pharaoh and, and the Egyptians have tried to steal from them. And you know, that's the same thing that the world does today. The world wants to tell you who you should be. Culture wants to tell you who you are. They want to tell you where you came from. They, they, they want to tell you your history. They, they want to tell you this is who you are, this is who we say you are, and this is who you should be. So Moses is writing this really to change their worldview, to tell them about how creation, who was the creator? How did creation come into being? Uh, and, and then how did you become a people? How did you become a nation? What is your history? Who are your ancestors? What are the mighty things that God has done for you? So a 3,500-year-old document that was written for uh, Israelites to show them their, their history speaks to us today. For so many times when we come out of the, the world, we need a proper biblical worldview. We need a proper, a proper view of who God is. Who is the creator? How was I created? Why was I created? For what purpose was I created? We're going to talk about all of that. But to give a proper understanding, then a proper understanding of who we are as the people of God. Who we are as the people of God. As as, as the church, the Bible says in Galatians that we are the, if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So the book that is about families of the Israelites is also a book about our spiritual heritage as well. Uh, The book of Genesis uh, is not an exhaustive historical document. The book of Genesis being 50 chapters, which we would say, man, that's a lot of chapters. When you look at Genesis and um, you look at that, it covers over 2,000 years of history. Then you see 50 chapters really isn't so much. Uh, So Genesis is not uh, an exhaustive history, it's selective history. It's what God wanted his people to know out of these years of history. The next book of Genesis is a book about beginnings or origins. That's what what Genesis means. That's the essence of the book. It's a book about beginnings. It's about the beginnings of earth and the universe. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's a, it's a book about the beginning of the human race. It's a book about the beginning of sin. It's a book about the beginning of, of redemptive revelation and, where, and salvation, how God deals with, with sin in its beginnings. It's the beginning of human families. It's the beginning of nations. It's the beginning of human languages. It's the beginning of the Hebrew people as well. And where did they come from? So the book of Genesis is a book about beginnings. Also, the book of Genesis is what, what I term as the, the seed book of the Bible. That if you don't really understand Genesis, you're going to really be lost in the rest of the Bible, even in the New Testament, even in the New Testament, because every major doctrine of the Bible, the rest of the Bible, Old and New Testament, ha- is seeded in Genesis. Uh, you won't understand when you get to Galatians and you read about uh, Sarah and Hagar and, and Abraham and, and, and the covenant. and You won't understand that unless you go back and read the story of Abram and Sarah and Hagar and, and what happened. So we see over and over again uh, the New Testament bringing out and going back into the book of Genesis. 
In fact, the New Testament alludes to Genesis over 200 times. Over 200 times in the New Testament, the book of Genesis is alluded to. So you see how important this document is. So the first thing I want to do is to give you some homework, and that is during this month, it would be awesome if you did it this week, uh, but I know that's stretching it for for people, so I, I want to be lenient. Try to read through the book of Genesis. Try to read through the book of Genesis. Uh, uh, get you a Bible that you can read, you can understand, uh, and that's simple, and just sit down and just read it. Read it many chapters at a time, and, and you'll get the, the story of what is going on. Um, you know, you might can read in the King James or New King James or NIV. Usually, let me just, let me just tell you what I do. If I just, just want to read for fun, uh, and, and I, I don't really want to think a lot. I just want to read. I'll, I'll get a new living translation or a new century version or something like that that is so easy that you can just sit down and read it as a story. So I encourage you to do that with the book of Genesis as we are going through it so you can get familiar with what is going on because uh, the book of Genesis uh, is, is narrative. It is story. That's the genre of the book. Uh, the, the Bible is not one book. It's 66 books collected together, and they have different genres in it. Uh, most of the New Te- or most of the Old Testament, Genesis, uh, Exodus, Leviticus, is narrative. It's story. It tells you the story of, of something. And then you have uh, wisdom uh, and poetry. You have Psalms, uh, and, and that's a certain genre. Then you have the prophetic books, Isaiah and Daniel and and then the, the little books at the end of the Old Testament that, that no one knows what they are. Uh, so all of those little prophetic books. Uh, prophecy uh, is different from narrative. Uh, you don't read Ezekiel like a story because it doesn't read very good like a story. Uh, you have to read it in sections of sermons because uh, it was really sermons or messages that God gave the prophet for his covenant people. Uh, then you go into the New Testament, and then you have the Gospels, and the Gospels are very narrative. Uh, except when Jesus gives parables, and then you have to read parables like parables, and you read narrative like narrative, and then you go into uh, the book of Acts, and it's very historical. Then you go into Paul's letters, uh, and letters are not narratives. Letters are letters. Just like if you would sit down and write a letter to someone and send it to them, uh, they read it as a letter. That's what Paul's uh, letters are. Uh, then you have Revelation. That is apocalyptic. It's full of symbols and, and signs and, and apocalyptic language. Language that goes references back to the Old Testament more than any other book uh, in the New Testament as well. So there are many different sections of Scripture that we have to understand what we're reading when we read it. So when you read Genesis, uh, very easy reading, just like reading a story. Uh, so find your Bible that's easy to read. You can just sit down and enjoy reading because it's full of drama. Uh, it's full of a lot of stuff that, 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 that you you know maybe wouldn't even think was in the Bible. Uh, but it's there. So that's the genre of the book of Genesis. It's mostly narrative. Another thing about Genesis, and we're going to be talking about this too, Genesis is a book about families. Genesis is a book about families. Uh, Adam and Eve, the first man and, and wife. Cain and Abel, that was a family story that did not end well uh, at all. Uh, but yet it's a family story. Then you have not just Adam and Eve or Cain and Abel, you have Noah uh, and his family. Uh, And Noah and his family had some rocky times. And here's the thing I love about the Bible. It's not about little, perfect little families living in nice houses with white picket fences and everything's lovely and they're picking flowers and, and, and cooking, you know, 
every day and just having a, one big happy time. That's not families in the Bible at all. Uh, families in the Bible probably look like my family and your family. Y'all just had Christmas, so you know what I'm talking about. You really did. Some of your families, you couldn't wait for them to get here, and then you couldn't wait for them to leave uh, because it was a great idea them coming, and after about three hours, you're like, I don't know about this. Come on, anybody got any family like that? Yeah, absolutely. I think we all do. If they're sitting with you, just, just don't, don't raise your hand at all. Somebody said, I wish this person beside me would leave. Right? But it's about families. It's about families that had a lot of problems. Uh, Noah saves his family on the ark, and the first thing he does, he goes and gets drunk, and his kids come in, and there's just a whole bunch of mess that, that happens, and it's about a book of dysfunctional families that bad things happen, uh, and it's just a bunch of drama, just like when you have families. Uh, so, uh, you know, if we do continue on after three or four months, uh, we'll probably talk about some of those family issues that they had to deal with with in Genesis as well. Uh, you got Abram and Lot. You got Abram and Sarah. Uh, and then you got Abram and Sarah trying to have a baby and they can't have a baby. So, so they go and get another lady to have a baby with them. And I t- it's, just, it's just crazy, all the stuff that is in the book of Genesis, family issues. Uh, then you have Isaac and Ishmael. Uh, you have them and the consequences of their family actions. Jacob and Esau. Jacob and his 12 sons. You have, then you have Joseph, who was despised by his brothers, and his brothers threw him in a pit and leaving him for dead. Uh, and then you have Joseph coming back and, and meeting his brothers at the end of the book in a great reunion ceremony that Joseph's brothers don't know if they're going to die or if they're going to live. Uh, so this book is full of family drama. Uh, and we're going to look maybe at some of those family drama issues throughout the book of Genesis. Uh, Genesis also, as all of Scripture is, Genesis is about Jesus. The whole Scripture is about Jesus. You can find Jesus in every book of the Bible. You, you don't have to wait until uh, Matthew to, to find Jesus. Jesus is all in the book. He's foreshadowed. Almost everything in the, the Old Testament is a picture or foreshadowing of Jesus and and what he would do. We see Jesus in creation. We see Jesus in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Gospel of John begins, and that obviously points back to Genesis. Uh, We see Jesus as the light. The first thing that God said is, let there be light. And the Scripture says about Jesus that he was the, the light that lights every man, that he is the light of the world. So we see when he said, let there be light, there was light before there was even a sun to give light. There was light before there was a light bulb. What is that light? Jesus is the light. Uh, when in, in the book of Revelation, when it talked about the holy city, it says there's no sun, uh, literal sun, because Jesus, the sun, is the light of it. Uh, And then we see Jesus not just being the light, but Jesus is the word of God as well. Jesus didn't always exist in a a five-foot-five, according to America, blonde-haired and blue-eyed body. He wasn't blonde-haired and blue-eyed, by the way. Sorry if that hurt your picture, but but it wasn't. Um, So anyway, uh, Jesus was the word. In the beginning was the word. And And God said, let there be the creative word. Jesus is the tree of life in the midst of the garden. Jesus is the promised seed of the woman that would crush the head of the serpent. 
Jesus is the clothing for Abram, for, for Adam and Eve that God clothed them with. He was the sacrificial lamb. He's the ark of safety for all those that are in Jesus can make it through the storms of this world. He is the Isaac, the promised son, the only begotten of the father. He's also the ram called in the thicket. And we could go on and on and on in the book of Genesis. But the book of Genesis is about Jesus. Everything's about Jesus. Uh, let, let, let me just give you another little hint when you're reading the Bible. Um, and and, and there's, there's one way of reading this, but, but a lot of times we read the Bible looking for us. Uh, and, and I don't think that's a bad thing. But we should always read the Bible looking for Jesus first. Uh, you know, you're probably, you know, we always preach, you're, you know, you're David facing your giants. Uh, usually I'm running scared from my giants uh, but thank goodness Jesus was the David that faced my giants and my fears and knocked them out and cut their head off and rendered them powerless uh, as well. Everything is about Jesus. Uh, the book is about Jesus. Jesus is the central figure of everything in Scripture. Uh, so there's many foreshadowings of Jesus. Then there's many attacks by critics. Uh, the book of Genesis is probably one of the most attacked books. Uh, there's debate over if Moses wrote the book of Genesis and, uh, and, and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, what we call the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Uh, many people believe that Moses wrote that. Many people say, well, Moses did not write that. Uh, and uh, Moses, I think Moses probably wrote everything except about his death. He probably didn't write that Moses died. Uh, someone else probably came along and added that at the end uh, of the book. Uh, then you have people doubt that you know, the, the literal creation that God created. Say, well, God didn't create uh, the heavens and the earth. Uh, it came by some other form or, you know, or, or this happened or that happened. It, it wasn't like it said. That, that's an allegory. Uh, Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve really didn't exist. That, that they're an allegory. They're just a story uh, of, uh, of human nature and a story of, of the fall. And it's not literal and it's not uh, real. Uh, and then they doubt, you know, the flood. Well, there was not a worldwide flood. There was nothing of that, Noah's Ark and, and all of that. So there, there's, the book of Genesis is attacked by a lot of people with, with those that take it literally and those that look at it figuratively or those that deny its existence uh, and its relevancy and its factualness at all. And then finally, the theme of the book is about God's sovereignty in human history. How God is sovereign over human history. It's about how God, especially in the, the history of the nation of Israel, how God took a man by the name of Abram and called him out of his country, away from his family, and said, I'm going to bring you into a new land. I'm going to give you a new identity. I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And through you, Abram, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So he takes Abram, who is from a, a foreign country, and makes a brand new people out of him. A chosen people. A covenant people. So what you really have, you have Adam being a, a, a natural race, and an earthly race of people. And then you have Abram being a chosen race of people, being a chosen race of people. Scripture says, and Peter wrote, you're a chosen generation, a called out people. That's what the church means. The church is the called out people of God. 
And just the same way that God took Abram, chose him, called him out to make a great nation out of him, God chose us in Christ from the foundation of the world. It's not really, you know, we talk about a lot about election, you know, God, did God elect some to be saved? And some, the, the issue is, is, you know, God really elected one. He really chose one. He chose Jesus. And if I'm in Jesus, he chose me in him from the foundation of the world to call me out, to call you out, to call us out, to make a great nation out of us, a peculiar people, a royal priesthood, to show forth the praises of him that called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So the major portion of the book of Genesis beyond the family problems is that that family was a chosen nation of God to be the light to the nations of the world, to be his covenant people. And that's really a big issue for us today. For I quoted the scripture earlier. For if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according. We are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. And you know what the thing I love about it as well? The book of Genesis is all about the grace of God. You want to preach grace? You can preach grace from Genesis. God showed Adam and Eve grace when he covered their sin. God, by his grace, chose Abram and graced him. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And if you look into his eyes today, you'll find grace in his eyes today as well. The whole book's about grace. So we might take a month. You see how we can preach on this for a whole year and, and two? So we might talk about how the whole book is about God's grace. Abram came by grace through faith. The law didn't even come until Exodus. God chose Abram by grace through faith. Abram believed God, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. Romans chapter 4 talks about that. So you, you really don't know what Romans chapter 4 is talking about unless you understand the book of Genesis. So the book of Genesis is a book about grace as well. Uh, let's look at a brief outline of the book of Genesis. Am I boring you this morning? Okay. I don't want to bore you. I'll stand on one of these speakers and yell if you want me to, just, just to keep you awake. Uh, a quick outline, just so you, when you read it, you'll know what you're reading. There's two major divisions uh, that most people recognize in the book of Genesis. The first one is chapters 1 through 11. Chapters 1 through 11. That's human history from Adam to Abraham, and it deals with the human race. Uh, creation is in chapters 1 and 2. The fall is in chapters 3. Uh, the flood, chapters 4 through 9, deal with that. And then, and then the Tower of Babel, uh, 10 through 11. Uh, so you have those instances that happen in the first 11 chapters. Then beginning in chapter 12 and 50 is when we talk about the choosing of Abraham and then his family, his sons, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph. So from chapter 12 all the way through the end of the book in chapter 50, it deals with the central characters of Scripture, the central people of Abraham and his call uh, and what happened to him from chapters 12 through 24, Isaac in chapters 25 and 26, Jacob in chapters 27 through 36, and then Joseph in 37 through 50. Uh, so you can get the family background and you can get how God worked to choose his people. It's a brief outline for you to to follow along with. So to kind of 
wrap things up in, in those main points of, of what we talked about. God creating everything. God creating Adam and Eve. God blessing them, giving them, uh, give, giving them a, a command to be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, subdue it, take dominion over the earth. And then with the fall, then with God choosing Abraham, with God making a covenant with Abraham, with God seeing uh, him and his family making a great nation out of them. When you're reading the book, what does the overall book have to do with you? We know it's, it's a book about beginnings. We know we see Jesus all in it. But where do we fit in the picture? Well, I want to give you just a few things today to, to think about as you're reading the book of Genesis. What can we learn from the overall message of Genesis that we can apply to our lives? Well, the first thing that we can learn is that everything in our lives starts with God. Everything in our lives starts with God. The one thing I love about the book of Genesis is that it makes a statement at the beginning. It doesn't give a defense. It says, in the beginning, God created. It doesn't argue for the existence of God. It doesn't say, uh, well, here's what you need to defend God. It doesn't defend God. It just declares God. And I don't know if it's up to you and I to try to defend God either. I think it's just up to us to try to declare God to a world that needs to know him. This is who he is. If you want to figure out all the other stuff, talk to him yourself. If you want to know anything else, talk to him yourself. But the Bible, if the whole Bible starts with God, in the beginning God, then that should be a starting point for our lives. That should be a starting point for our lives, that everything in our lives starts with God. The book is about God. We must start with God because that's where the Bible starts, with God. As we said, Jesus is all throughout Scripture, but God's the central character of everything. So my advice this year, being that everything starts with God, my advice this year is to not put Jesus first in your life. Do not put God, do not put Jesus first in your life. Don't do it. You know how you make a list? You list one thing, number two, number three, number four, number five. Here's what we have a tendency to do. When we wake up in the morning, we want to put God first, because that's what we've been told to do. So we get up, we might pray for a minute, might read a devotional or scripture, and then we go on throughout the rest of our day forgetting God. This year, I want to challenge you not to put God first in your life. Make God the center of everything that you do. That way you don't say, okay, I've gotten God out of the way. See, a lot of people think, well, I come to church today, so I've come, I've got God out of the way, and now I can go and do what I want to do. Well, I, I really hate to see to, 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 to look at your life. I really would hate to see your life because it's probably empty and, and, and it's probably void and you're probably not happy with anything or anybody. Uh, because it's not when we leave here, we've done our God duty. Now we can do everything else we want to do. It's no, I'm making God the central part of everything that I do. That way he is never left out of my life. Now that doesn't mean I live like a monk and I sit down and, and hum and meditate. And do all, it's just you, he is on your mind 
He's on your lips. He, he is a part. You are sensing his presence in everything that you do. Make him the center of your life. For he's the center of everything in Scripture. For he should be the center of our lives. Number two, what can we learn from, from the book of Genesis? We can learn that God is the God of your history. God is the God of your history. One of the main reasons that the book of Genesis is written is to show the Israelites their history. To show them how God worked in their past. How God worked in their families. How how they got to this point was not by accident. It's to show them the supernatural God that did supernatural things that made them a supernatural chosen people. And it revealed their history unto them. It's to show them that if God created the universe and called them to be a people, if God didn't leave you then, then that shows you God's character now. If he created the world, if he called you as a nation, it will show you his character now. When they, when they wrote about the, the exodus, the coming out of Egypt, what, 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 what's the one thing that they always went back to? Share with your children. Share with the, the generation coming after you the great works of God. Why? Because God is the God of your history. Listen, God didn't just come into your life when you prayed a prayer and asked him to come into your heart. Jesus has been in your life from the moment you were conceived in your mother's womb. And he's been with you. You might not have always recognized it, but God is the God of your history. God's been with you through everything that you've gone through. God has been there. He's been working because he works all things together. He works all things together. He is the God of your history. But he's not just the God of your history. He's the God that's the God that changes your future. He's the God that changes your future. So that's number three. Number three, God is the God that changes your future. And we don't see this, you know, we see it prominently in the book of Genesis. That God changes people's future. God takes Abram and says, I'm going to change your future. You know what Abraham would have done if God hadn't have came to him? He'd have still been in Ur of the Chaldees. He'd still been worshiping a moon god. He'd still been lost in idolatry. His whole family would be lost in idolatry, and they'd be pagan people worshiping a pagan god in a pagan nation. But you know what? God stepped into his life, and God changed his future. To show I'm not just the god of your history, I'm the God of your future as well. God takes Jacob, Jacob, whose whose name means trickster. Jacob was a trickster. He's a deceiver. But you know what? God took him and changed his name to Israel, which means prince. God says, I'm the God that changes your future. I'm the God that when you meet me, I don't leave you like you are, but I bring you into who I've created you to be because I am the creator. And he's not just the creator, he's the creator of the new creation as well in your life. God takes 
a man by the name of Joseph, who was to many people in his own family seemed just like an arrogant, spoiled brat because he was his daddy's favorite. And he had the coat of many colors, and he walked around and let everybody know, hey, I'm somebody special. And you need to know I'm somebody special. Well, his brothers didn't like that, so they, they wanted to kill him. Well, they didn't kill him, but they just threw him in a pit, sold him into slavery as a slave. But you know what? That was the greatest thing that could ever happen to Joseph because God had a purpose and a plan for his life. Inside what many people saw as a spoiled little brat living in a house, God had put inside of him the anointing to be a king and to be a ruler. And God said, you know what? I'm going to put you as a ruler in Egypt over almost all of Egypt. That sounds great, doesn't it? Wouldn't it be great if God says, you know what? I have great things in store for you. You're going to be a ruler. You're going to be, you're going to be a king. You're going to be a great ruler. But there's a reason that God showed him the end result but didn't show him the journey. He didn't say, Joseph, I'm going to send you to Egypt to be a great ruler. All right, God signed me up, and here's how it's going to happen. You're going to be hated by your brothers. They're going to throw you in a pit. They're going to sell you into slavery. Uh, you're going to be sold as a slave. You're going to end up... Um, being in, in, in the house of another Egyptian ruler. Uh, his wife is going to accuse you uh, of forcing yourself on her. They're going to throw you in jail for two years where your friends in jail are going to forget you uh, and you're going to feel lonely. But you know what? Because of all of that, you're going to stand before the king and God's going to bless you and you're going to be a ruler in Egypt. You know what God did? God was the God of his future as well. God's the God of his future, not just the God of history, but a God that changes people's future. And when Jesus Christ interrupted your life, he showed you, I'm the God of your future. I just haven't been the God that's been with you. Not just the God that's with you now, but I'm the God that has determined the end from the beginning. And I will show you great and mighty things. He's the God of your future. And finally, you are a part of his story. You are a part of God's story. Because God changed your future, he changed your future to make you a part of his story. Because he had a plan and a purpose. And you, every one of you, you're a part of God's plan. You're a part of his story. You're a part of his kingdom. doesn't matter how insignificant you think it is. God has a plan for you. You're a part of his story. Listen, God can write about you just as good as he could have written about anybody else. Your story is being written now. Your story. What will define your story? You know what, you know what said Abraham and Isaac? Jacob, David, Daniel. You know what set those guys apart? Paul, Peter. They all had problems. They were not perfect people. They were, they were not even good people. They were people that, that took every opportunity they could to mess things up. You know what the only difference is? They were, they were just crazy enough when they heard the voice of God to follow it. That's all they were. They were crazy enough just to believe God and to follow him when he told them to do something. That's all. 
and we herald them today as they're in the Bible. They, they, they are great. They're, they're all of this. We think about a little girl named Ruth who chose to follow her mother-in-law after all of, all of the men in their family were gone. She made one simple decision. Brad, you can, you can go ahead and come up, Brad. Let me tell you, one decision can shift your future. Ruth, even though she's not in the book of Genesis, I'm going to talk about Ruth. Ruth was a foreign girl from a foreign country. And there were Israelites from, from Israel that because of a famine in the land, they went down to a foreign country. And one of the sons took a wife by the name of Ruth. And the son died. Naomi, who was the mother of the family, her husband died. And Ruth looks at Naomi and Naomi says, you can go back to your home now. I'm going to go back to my home in, in Israel. You can go back to your home in Moab with your family, with your gods, with your life. And we'll part ways. Well, Ruth looks at Naomi and says, I'm going to follow you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to go with you. Well, there was another daughter-in-law named Orpah. And Orpah said, you know what? Had fun, mom, but I'm going to go back to my home. I'm going to go back to my gods. I'm going to go back to my comfort. And she turned around and walked away. Orpah did, and we never hear from her again. But Ruth made one simple decision. She wasn't thinking about God. She wasn't thinking about the part she could play in God's plan. She just loved Naomi and was going to follow her back home. And because of one decision, Ruth became the great, 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 great grandmother of the Lord Jesus. God used her a foreign girl that made one decision to follow God. One decision to follow him. One decision. And that simple decision that seemed so minute changed the course of human history. One decision. God called one man Abram. And he was foolish enough to believe God and to follow wherever God said go. And it changed the course of human history. Now, God may or may not have called any of us in this place to change the course of human history. I hope he has. That would be fun. But I do believe that God has called every one of us to help change the course of somebody's history and to call them into a desired future that God has planned for them by revealing their creator and why he created them. The Bible says he created the, the world and he created it not to be empty, but he created it to be inhabited. When God creates something, there's a purpose to why God creates it. And there's a purpose to why you're created. The next few months, we're going we're gonna to look at some of those things. Why? What's the purpose that you were created? Today, I want you to say you're a part of the story.
And maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus. As you're, maybe you've never received his grace and received his forgiveness and to cleanse your sin and to wash it away. I just want you to know that God has always been with you. There's never been a moment he's not been with you. And if God is calling you to that place today, all he wants from you is to be a person like Abraham that, that, that his, he's not perfect, he's not even a great guy, but he believes God. And by his faith, it was counted to him for righteousness. And today it's by your faith of God is pulling on your heart to come to him. It's by your simple faith to follow him that God counts you righteous before him. God counts you righteous before you do one righteous thing, before you do one good thing, or if you go out and leave here and do one bad thing, God counts you righteous by your faith in believing and following him. The God of your history, It's the God that changes your future so you can be a part of his story. Today, God wants you to be a part of his story, making a difference in the lives of others and a difference in this world. Let's stand together this morning. Look down on us. God, in our eyes, we may seem so insignificant, And you've placed your grace upon us. You've been the God of our history. That you can be the God that changes our future. And we can be a part of your story. God, we want to be a part of your story. Lord, we want to to be a part of your kingdom, your moving of your spirit here on the earth. Lord, thank you for your mercy that called us to yourself. Today, I just pray, Lord, for each person in this place that you've called them to be a part of your story. You created them for a purpose. You love us with an everlasting love. You draw us close to your heart today. And Lord, we just pray for the next few moments that we would put our minds upon you, that we would make a decision in the beginning of this year. Lord, not just to put you first to go ahead and get this God's stuff out of the way, but to make you the center of everything that we do. The center of our lives, the center of our homes, the center of our thoughts, the center of our work, the center of our recreation, the center of everything. For you want to be part of all of our lives. So Lord, as we listen to your spirit this morning, move us the way that you would have us to go. We'll give you the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name, this altar is open for any need that you have. If you just need to come and spend a few minutes with the Lord, if, if you need someone to pray with you, I'll be happy to pray with you. If, if you need to talk to somebody about Jesus, we'll talk to you about Jesus and introduce you to his goodness. Let's just worship for the next few moments and be obedient as the Spirit speaks to our hearts. Jesus and the center of it all. center of it all from beginning to the end it will always be it's always been you Jesus Jesus because Jesus
Jesus and the center of it all. Jesus at the center of it all From beginning to the end It will always be, it's always been you, Jesus Jesus, cause nothing else matters There's nothing in this world Jesus, you're the center, and everything revolves around you, Jesus, you, Jesus, be the center of my life, Jesus, be the center of my life. From beginning to the end, it will always be, it's always been you, Jesus, Jesus, cause nothing else matters, nothing in this world will do, cause Jesus, you're this morning. Miss Nina would love for us to, to pray with her. She'll be going into surgery on, on Thursday. And uh, I'm just going to ask uh, our deacons and any, anyone else that will to, uh, to come and let's gather around her and lay hands on her and touch and agree one another that uh, we already know everything is going to be well. We already know everything will be well. She wants her church family to come and just surround her today. So we're going to do that. And just agree together for God's healing to come. For God's peace to wash over her life and her family. 
They don't have to be worried about a thing. come today recognizing the God that we come before a God that is so great our minds cannot even comprehend but a God that is so good that you call us to come boldly to your throne of grace to find help in our time of need so Lord we come together with Miss Nina today and her family touch and agree together today for your mighty hand to be upon her body and her life Lord that you would be with her this week. Lord, as she goes through this surgery, God, we thank you for, Lord, the the doctors that you have blessed to do what you have called them to do. And Lord, we just pray right now and we just declare over her life, we declare everything is well over her life. We speak peace in her life. We speak peace to her heart and peace to her mind. We speak peace to her body. We just speak your shalom, your peace over every aspect for her and her family. We thank you that you're a faithful father, that you are watching over her and guarding her, protecting her. God, you are so faithful to us. And you're going to be faithful as she goes through this week, as your hand is upon her, that, Lord, every move that is made would be anointed by the Holy Spirit. Lord, we give you the praise and the glory right now for working a mighty work in her body. For, Lord, a recovery that will be better than expected and for an outcome that will bring desired results that pain would be no more. Lord, that she would be able to to go and move and do with no issues whatsoever. We thank you that it is in your hands. We thank you for your peace. We thank you for your healing grace. Just cover them right now. Cover them right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. What a great God that we serve. Hey, all y'all right here, why don't you hug somebody before you, you leave? You guys can be dismissed today. Have a wonderful new year.